Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. And my guest today has been pursuing people who have appeared or worked with the iconic host of an iconic television show. He's been pursuing these people for the best of reasons because the program, The Tonight Show, and the host, Johnny Carson, have made an enduring contribution to American pop culture. Johnny Carson decided to retire after three decades, and he hosted his final show on May 22, 1992. All these years later, my guest Mark Malkoff, comedian, filmmaker, and the host of the Carson Podcast, has continued to shed light on the shy man from the Midwest who left an indelible entertainment legacy. For everything about the Carson Podcast, go to carsonpodcast.com, and you can also listen on Apple Podcasts. You can also go to markmalkoff.com and follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And Mark, welcome to the show. Ira, it's really good hearing your voice. It's been a while. It is. You were on my podcast. Exactly. You were doing my other show several years ago on Talk About Las Vegas, and I wanted to have you on this show because I think what you do is very encouraging in a sense that people think that time marches on and people get forgotten, and yet you are not forgetting this entertainer, Johnny Carson. So how did that obsession start with him? Pure curiosity, because what I, my dad showed me the show. I think I was five or six staying up on, on a Friday, and there was just something about Carson, something about when he was with kids and animals, and just the whole mystique of the show. And I just really wanted to know what went on backstage, how Johnny Carson put the show together, uh, what he was like. And there was no, there were no answers. I mean, they never let cameras backstage or anything. And I just want to know how the magic tricks were done. And then when he retired, I had even more questions because I just, I loved the guests on the show and just everything about it was this magical party that, that it just, I always wanted to go to the show. And it was just I started the podcast just because I wanted my questions answered and cause he, he was the most famous man in America for, you know, 30 years. And there was so little known about him other than some salacious books. So many of the people that were close to him that did the show had never talked publicly. I didn't think they would probably talk to me either, but yeah, basically my questions almost have been all answered and the answers are nothing that I expected. I did not expect so many people Pretty much everyone loved the man. I mean, for the most part, people just loved him. And some of the other books that are out there made me originally think the opposite. That was funny because I was going to ask you about whether your mind got changed in terms of what you thought about him after all of these years of doing the podcast. You started the Carson podcast in 2014, and you're still doing it in 2021. Did you ever think that would continue that long? Never. I we actually started recording in 2013. Then we I built up like maybe 10, 20 episodes, and we released it. But I I honestly thought maybe maybe a couple months, and surely nobody famous or very few people that were famous. And I, I just the, the, I didn't want to put negative energy out there. And with Bushkin's book, Henry Bushkin and uh, Joan Rivers' book, everybody would repeat what they said that I was just afraid it was all going to be negative. And to my surprise, all these people wanted to talk about how much they, they really adored the guy. And it was this completely different perspective. And I, I was blown away. Did the momentum continue? Once you started getting X number of interviews in the can and person A, who was interviewed by you, talked to person B and said, you really should go on to Mark's show. All of a sudden, it was easier for you to get the guests? 
I would say somewhat. I mean, there's only a few guests that help me with other guests, but definitely when I've approached people and said these other people have been on, for sure, 100% the momentum has helped me get other guests credibility-wise. The thing I didn't really understand, and it took me it just took me a little bit until I realized it, is that the guests were not there to talk about, not to talk about me to be nice. They were only there for the, the most part. Well, some of them were just to be nice, but for the most part, they were there to talk about a point in their lives that was just the most happy time that they never get to talk about in length. Some of these people are maybe asked about Carson, you know, just for a minute or so, but nothing ever in depth. And I've had famous people that are thanking me. And I'm like, why? And they're like, no one's ever asked me about Carson. I mean, even a musician like Jimmy Buffett, I never would have guessed he would be thanking me for this because no one ever asked him about his Carson appearances. He told me that it was that and one other thing were the biggest career breaks in his life. And he said, no one has ever asked me. And I get a lot of that. A lot of people that just, it's like going through college, everyone, these people sometimes, you know, people love their college experience sometimes, but they never get to talk about it at length. So I think that a combination of that and the, the guests I've been able to get, I think that that probably what gets them to do it. It's interesting because what you just said, I was thinking about People talk about their formative years, and it could be in college, it could be in a war, it could be other generations dealing with the Depression. But from an entertainment world perspective, all these guests that you've talked about, their formative years had to do with The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah, they grew up watching it. For a lot of them, it just changed their lives. And anybody that remotely was interested in entertainment, I mean, it was the show. I mean, I still think it's one of the best history lessons. If people want to go back and watch old shows and see how people dress, what the culture was, what the music taste was, who, who was famous, what socially, how how Johnny... I mean, John, they definitely did stuff on talk shows back then they couldn't do now. Other, Not even the smoking, but other things, but see culturally where the times were and just everything about that. I mentioned the fashion... And uh, I, I just, in Johnny's monologue, for sure, with the current events that are going on and whoever's president. So I just think it's an excellent history lesson, that show. It's also a sense of what entertainment can be in that, yes, it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But when you watch some of the clips or listen to some of the people that are on your podcast, you get the sense of what entertainment was, that it wasn't agenda driven. It wasn't political. It was primarily to have fun and have all these wonderful, talented people on the show. Yeah, and there was just something about it, having the panel going and some of the best moments happening organically, which I know the talk shows have changed, and I've said this before. They've changed a lot, and you just don't really get the spontaneity. They take out the mistakes, whereas Carson left in 99.9. It was only, you know, Della Reese had a stroke. They're, of course, they're going to stop when she gets hosted. But for the most part, they left everything in, and there was a charm about that. But it, it really was this place to go and, and, and have fun. And it was a, a lot of people would just watch this and just feel that Carson was one of their friends, and they just wanted to be a part of the party. I mean, you watch those scenes with um, the clips with like Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds and um, just certain people that were really playful with Carson. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Yeah. In fact, I have continued to watch over the years the Don Rickles' appearances on The Tonight Show, and it never gets old. 
Yeah, I mean, culturally, where society is now, it's changed a lot. And um, yeah, some of the stuff, I mean, one, one of my friends was telling me, I mean, Rickles, the last bunch of years of his life, was doing his act at a restaurant and all, all these um, Mexican-Americans, and he didn't, they didn't know who Rickles was. So it, people were forgetting about him, but he was still doing those jokes, and they would get, a, they got offended and hurt. So there are a lot of people, people in show business would know who Rickles is and older people, but as this flame slowly goes out, which I hope it never actually does go out, I just, yeah, you're, I don't think you'll ever see somebody like that on TV again and, or in Vegas. And not to make the point too strongly, but you, in effect, are keeping the flame from going out when it comes to Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. You know, it, it is one of those things where there is no other information in, in terms of my catalog, the hundreds of hours I have, 335 episodes, something like that. It was just, again, I just wanted the answers. I, I still have some questions. I've had most of them. But it's just talking to the, these people about their Carson appearances, and it it doesn't get old for me, and it doesn't get old for the listeners. I'm always I always forget people listen when I'm doing the intros and outros <laughs> and stuff, or talking to the guest. I don't I don't know. And then it, it, I look at the numbers, and I, people miss Carson. They really do. I re, I like getting mail, especially from younger people that are in their twenties, and they said, you know, of course I wasn't alive when Johnny was doing his show, but through YouTube. If you go to the Carson YouTube channel, I mean, they've gotten something like 500 million views and all these other people put up clips. I mean, it's, I think it's probably clear to a, to a billion views on YouTube of Carson clips. So younger people are discovering the show, which I do like. And that's, the, I think, the contribution that you make. You not only keep the flame alive, you introduce new generations to what was a moment in time in American pop culture. I, I hope so. I really wished somebody did this podcast so I, earlier. I mean, I, I guess not because I wouldn't have done it, but it was just, uh, yes, I, I, I just was so into uh, Carson, even when he retired, and then Peter Jones did a documentary on PBS, and that's what really got me going because I loved his documentary, and then I had even more questions, and uh, that was, I sat down with Peter, and I asked, I told, I interviewed him, and I and I, and I didn't even know at that point, I knew I was going to do a podcast interview style, but I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have enough confidence that it was going to be Carson, but I told him afterwards, I was thinking about doing a podcast just about Carson. And he, he sensed just my passion and my enthusiasm. And he says, you know, tell everyone I endorse you. And, I'm, and I say to him, who, sh- who do you think I should have on? He said, well, do you want Carl Reiner's home phone number? I'm like, okay. Do you want Doc Severinsen's cell phone number? Okay. Because he could just tell from me interviewing him and just the passion. I had no agenda. I really didn't other than my love for The Tonight Show and my love, uh, yeah, just for Carson as a host. And Peter was invaluable, giving me the confidence and just opening some of the doors, which I did not expect. I mean, Peter's such a nice man. But I, I, I only it was the first time I ever met him, and he, he trusted me enough to to really get the thing going. And I think that's important to note. You said it, but I'll say it again. You didn't have an agenda, and I think that became apparent in your interview with Peter. And then when he opened the door to other people, and then once they came on your show, they realized that you weren't trying to dig up dirt. You were really just trying to find out about the man and the show. And looking at that point of view from the guests that you did 
get through Peter and then through your own efforts. Who was the hardest guest to track down? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it took me five or six years to get Diane Cannon and to get Angie Dickens, and those took forever. But in terms of finding somebody, like a mailing address on white, white pages or something like that, because I, I definitely had to, to go people that don't have email. I'm trying to think of who it is, but I just remember Mel, getting Mel Brooks' office email took, I, I would say at least over, I don't know, over a year took, I don't know, maybe 20 hours. I mean, I just was, it's one of those things where the stuff, uh, sometimes the stuff lives on the internet. It's just hard to find, but that's how I was able to get initially asked Mel Brooks to do it. And then I didn't hear back. And then Carl Reiner is one of the rare times Carl Reiner told Mel to, he should do it. And, um, yeah, because Mel Brooks, I know that almost. Happened. Yeah, I was amazed when you got that one. And I didn't realize that that's how it worked because Carl Reiner said to Mel, who obviously they were best of friends. Hey, you ought to do the show. Yeah, Mel, Mel Brooks is notorious, and I didn't know at the time. For I knew he would say no, but he doesn't like making decisions until the last minute. So a lot of people just don't know that they extend an invite. I mean, I got an email. I, had, I For weeks, I was emailing uh, Mel Brooks' assistant, didn't hear back. And then it was the night before I was leaving to Los Angeles, and it was less than 24 hours. It was 7 p.m. I remember actually in Studio City where I got an email saying that if you're still around tomorrow, Mr. Brooks has some time at, I don't know if it was two o'clock or whatever, but we had a flight right after this. So it was basically down to um, the minute it, it worked out. It was one of those things where just, you know, we were able to, to go over to Culper's studio. Me and um, my wife, Christina, produces the podcast sit down with Mel Brooks in his office for, I don't know, hour 15, something like that, and hang out. And he was just so nice to us and then get to the flight. But it is one of those things with last minute. Regis Philbin was another one where his assistant's like, can you be here in, in two hours or something? I had no research done because at first of all, I didn't know he'd say yes. And second, I just didn't know they'd want to do it. So uh, that those definitely... I wish I had more time to do the research, but both of those episodes I'm, I'm really happy with. It's funny you should say about time to do research, because some of your guests that you've had on, and you've mentioned it on the podcast, where you have 20 pages of notes, and you maybe only get into the second page, and then, of course, they come back for an appearance again, and then you get into maybe the fourth page, but you're still not done with all your notes, so you do a lot of research. I For, for me to talk to people, some people can just do it. I, I know Larry King was very much very little research and just being in the moment, being spontaneous, which I like those moments. I have them, but I just, I just, I need to have as much as I can on my guests. Just out of respect, I don't like to ask them all the same questions they normally get. So if I can find research for other things they've never talked about or rarely talked about, I, I definitely like to go there. And once a guest hears some of my questions, and there are a lot of times they just they can't believe that I that I've been able to through research track these things down. They get a lot more open with me. I mean, I think that people are comfortable, but once I start getting into some of those very specific questions, they open up even more. I think it's a subtle signal. I I do that as well. Where if you communicate that you know something that most people don't know about the guest, the guest realizes yes, you know your stuff, and they open up and they're more relaxed about it. And I think so. Go. I just yeah. had on yesterday or the day before Tim Reed, who was the star, one of the stars of WKRP in Cincinnati. He's done so much. 
that that took me at least a couple years to get him on the podcast, and I was so happy. But at the end, he, he we, we talked for like almost an hour, forty five minutes, something like that. And he's at the end. He's like, I didn't expect to have this much fun. But <laughs> I did. I did the research, which I think really attributed. And it was one of the rare times. Also, I asked just because sometimes it's just I don't have the time. But I asked some listeners to they had any questions, and they they were very specific with their questions. And I, I'm just so glad. I mean, that's what we both want. I mean, you you know this too. You just want your guests to be comfortable and glad that they did it, and just for them to have fun and for the time to fly by. Exactly. That's the way to do it. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Jeff Zatzing. He's Johnny Carson's nephew. He's president of the Carson Entertainment Group. How helpful was he in terms of opening some doors or providing material or just submitting to an interview? Jeff's been really nice to me, for sure. Jeff was instrumental in in allowing me to use, I don't think he's ever said no, uh, to using some audio clips on the podcast. And when I asked him to be a guest, it was, yeah, he was very inviting. I went to his office, which was an airplane hangar in Fullerton, where he's from. And uh, yeah, he just having his endorsement, I think, really meant a lot. I just emailed him actually yesterday with a question. He got back to me right away. So I'll definitely reach out once in a while to him and check in. But uh, yeah, he's been really nice to me. And because, again, this is not a short-term podcast, it's been going for several years now. And, and you mentioned your wife also, who I assume is still supportive after all these podcasts. Christine's amazing. I mean, she's very hands-on with um, post-production especially. And um, just working with me on it, there's no way it would be going. I mean, Christine and I, for the first year, I don't know how much money we lost, but it was definitely a few thousand dollars. And it was just one of those things. That's the one when I stopped and then the listeners were, we're, we're, we need you. And I, <laughs> and, I, and I just said... And I didn't know if it was happening. I just said, I need my expenses covered, and this is what it would take. And everyone stepped up. I mean, it was incredible. I have people come to me now, and then they say, how do I, I'm launching, how do I get all these people to donate money like people are kind to do to you? And, I'm, and I said, the only reason it, it, I did it for a year, and people people saw the quality of the work. And But before that, I don't think I would have gotten anything if, if the, the thing wasn't established. I mean, it's really, really hard. I know sometimes to launch things unlimited to no budget, but I mean, I it's a lot easier now to do them over um, uh, over Zoom. But back then, it, it really wasn't like that. So I'd go to their homes a lot of times, and there were just so many expenses with the traveling and the listeners at, at the time stepped up. It was definitely something I didn't expect and I was grateful for. And that's an ongoing feature. You you obviously front-loaded the show with your own money, which you had to do because there are certain investments you have to make in terms of starting up a podcast. And so if you go to CarsonPodcast.com, you can find a little butt there that you can contribute to your expenses as well, which I think is important, especially because you're providing a very specialized experience and it's to people who can appreciate that experience. And Ira, you are one of those kind people, and I appreciate it. But I, you know, you understand this, but I think a lot of people just don't get the booking, the guest, how long. That's just one aspect. How long it takes in the last two months, last sixty days, I've reached out to dozens and dozens and dozens of guests. And my figure, I did it the other day, was twenty-five percent said yes, and the seventy-five I didn't hear back from, or they said no. 
and just to find their contact information, to reach out, to have an email that I try to put an email together that's short, that's the most persuasive, why they, I think that they would want to be a guest on, on the podcast, but to tailor very specific. When I'm reaching out to somebody, you know, it's like, I'd uh, love to talk about your, your seven Johnny Carson appearances, very, very specific things. Um, it just takes forever. <laughs> it does. But at least it, it, it when they get that email from you, they know that you know about them because you're referring to the specific seven appearances as opposed to That's a general I try thing. to do. I yeah. try that that might help. And some other specifics, if I can do um, some research before I, I reach out, I try to do that to see if they worked, for example, with Ed McMahon on something. I can I can include that. Or if they did something with Fred DeCordova. So the more specific, the better I have found. Who was the guest you haven't gotten yet? Oh, man, we've been going forever. <laughs> I still have about 100, 200, maybe more guests that just I have not been able to get. Uh, Bette Midler, Dave Letterman, um, those are probably my top two, I'd say. But I, I would just have to look at my list. I mean, I've kind of blocked it out because I've very nicely, gently would check in, I don't know, every year. Uh, and stuff like you know, Ellen DeGeneres, Bill Marsh, people that went on a lot and people that guess. I was just like, I, I tried for years to get Burt Reynolds and that was a very big disappointment. But the people that are alive right now, I have to think about it only because I was just going through my master list and it was so sad how many names of people that had passed away since we started this thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's over 20 of my guests that I've had on the podcast have passed. And just everyone else that I've done research, it's just, I have their, it's right in front of me and I ask them to do the show and they're just not around anymore, which is really, it's really sad. It is. Yes. Do you find there's a common thread on the people that you have not been able to get yet on the show? Is there a common thread as to why they don't respond or don't want to go on? The, I think for people like Jerry Seinfeld, people like Bette Midler, when they hear the word podcast, that is an immediate turnoff. The publicists also, the publicists get so inundated with podcasts that I think a lot of them don't ask, don't even ask their clients, don't even tell them or, or mention the Carson thing. So I think that that's, and just, you know, Letterman now does a lot more with the talk show going on other people's show, but he was didn't do much stuff. Seinfeld just doesn't do comedy podcasts. He'll do sports podcasts, but unless it's like a Mark Marin, this podcast WTF, they get something like a million listeners. And he was promoting his book. He went in just because he knew he'd get a, a strong rage, but he just doesn't. His friends have his friends have asked him, and he does no interest. So you hmm. know, so some people just I don't know why, just don't want to talk, be on a podcast. And um, I think in some cases. Well, I know in some cases that they feel that they would have to ask Johnny if it was okay to talk to me and he's no longer around. I got a really nice message from John Larroquette, and it was so beautifully written. And he told me uh, when he did the movie JFK, he played a Johnny Carson type, and he um, it was I think it was edited out of the movie, but he said he asked Carson's permission. And Johnny said yes, and he, he felt like he would have to ask Johnny, which I, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, he, he it was this really detailed, longer message. And I was just grateful he got back, man, because John Larroquette gets hosted The Tonight Show at least 
three, four times, maybe more, something like that. And then he went on with Johnny a lot. I mean, they never, Peter LaSalle told me they never chased the A-list movie star. It was the hottest uh, individual. It was always about the talkers. If you could come on the show and were a good talker, you you were on the show. I mean, it didn't matter if you didn't have a movie out or a TV show out necessarily, but if you could just go on the show and have this amazing ability to tell stories and have this unique chemistry with, with, with Carson, that's what they wanted. They they would a lot of times put the civilians at the top of the show first guess who these are people that had, for the most part, probably never been out of their hometown. And, you know, they would they would research and find in these hometown newspapers the, the skills and things that people, very unique stuff. Like one gentleman, Frank, I forget his last name, was selling quail drop-ins and necklaces. <laughs> and that's a famous bit. And there's something wonderful about that. But a lot of times those people would get the, now it's always the hottest guest, no matter what. But Carson would put people like James Randi, who he was friends with, who was a skeptic. The amazing Randi, yeah. First before anybody. Because Peter basically said we didn't have competition. We could do whatever we we wanted and they would follow their curiosity and do the show that they wanted to do rather than what most people do, which would be chase the, at least now the, the hottest star and they would put, they'll put them on whether they can talk or not. Yes. And I think that's why podcasts are important today because you can get somebody on that doesn't necessarily have to be the hottest guest, but is somebody who can talk and who's interesting. I think so. I mean, I'm always blown away when I do these and just somebody I, I maybe only was able to do a little research on and just have talked to them for 90 minutes or whatever and it flies and just, yeah, when, it, when it's going well, as you know, and it's just, it feels effortless that those are the best conversations. Absolutely. I've had some recently that I just, it's, it's I just know in my head, I'm just like, this is going to be a rough edit. Talk, talk to them for maybe an hour and maybe a half hour is going to be used at the most. And those happen. And um, hopefully with the editing, people will not be able to tell. I don't think anybody's ever been able to tell uh, because I get a lot of compliments on certain episodes. And, and I just, of course, wouldn't reveal that they just didn't remember a lot. And we're getting, we're getting things wrong over and over again. And uh, I don't, we, um, Christine and myself, our philosophy is, we don't, we're not going to put anything up unless our guests look good. No, makes perfect sense. Last question. Who is your most satisfying guest from your perspective? In other words, you were delighted to get them on. And when they were on, they were everything you thought they would be. Oh, man. Definitely Mel Brooks. Charles Grodin was somebody who you know, people talk about him as a guest. But, I mean, they would get hate mail about Charles Grodin <laughs> playing this character, kind of like a Colbert thing that wasn't him. And, and uh, people would write into Carson, why do you have this guy on? He's so not nice. He's not nice to you. And I just, there was just something about that and Johnny being secure in himself to get teased that I love sitting down with him twice. Yeah. And just talking to other people, like Michael J. Fox, I grew up watching. I worked with him briefly on Spin City when I was an intern and then hired just getting to sit down with him. And again, I think, I mean, he said yes, because it's Carson. And I mentioned, I wanted to talk about his dad, who was in the background for one of the audience sketches and things. But getting to sit down with some of these people that I grew up watching, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Carl Reiner, I put in there as well. Angie Dickinson, definitely as well. 
I really, really liked sitting down with her and just hearing these stories. And, you know, they were friends. I mean, you, I can almost always tell if they were a real friend of Johnny's because they refer to Johnny as John. If, if you watch Rickles or I'm trying to think of some other people, it's always John when they're on the show and they're talking to him. I mean, the employees would call him Mr. Carson. Maybe some would call him Johnny. But his, the friends that I've talked to was always John. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Mark Malkoff, comedian, filmmaker, and the host of the Carson Podcast. For everything about the Carson Podcast, go to carsonpodcast.com. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts. You can also go to markmalkoff.com. That's M-A-L-K-O-F-F. And you can follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And Mark, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. This was fun. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.